Welcome to the Deeper Into Movies podcast. My name is Stephen T. Hanley. I'm the founder and lead creator of Deeper Into Movies. We are a pop-up cinema based in London and New York. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Anna Katchian. She is the co-host of the fantastic and infamous podcast, Red Scare. I've been a Red Scare subscriber for years. Anna and I have spoke in the DMs here and there. I'm friends with her partner, the musician Eli Kessler, who scored Scary 61st, out now on Deep Printed Movies Records, hashtag ad. And I wanted to speak to Anna for so long, and people are always requesting her. So here we are. And I loved our conversation. It was really nice and chaotic. And we spoke about Viral Housewives, Michelle Welbeck, Morrissey, Eastbound and Down. And yeah, we got into a lot of different places. And as expected, Anna is super smart and hilarious. Here is me and Anna Ketchian. How's it going? Can you hear me? Yeah, fine. Okay, cool. I thought that would be more of a problem. No, that's all good. How's things with you? Good. How was Paris? Was it Paris you were in? It was really fun. And how was meeting Lisa Renner? She was really sweet. Really? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, she's she's like an unfairly maligned character. She's clearly like a harmless attention whore. Yeah. And just like like being photographed and interviewed. Didn't you like set up Garcelle in the in the show? I haven't been follow. I have a confession to make. I haven't been following along with the show, so I don't know what's going on there. But I guess she was forced to leave the show under like dubious circumstances. So I have to read up on that. Yeah, I think she basically had a finster where she'd just comment loads of shit and shit stir or. She's a real shit stir and shit talker, yeah. but that's, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, I like a hustler mentality. She definitely Me too. will promote anything and just sell anything. But yeah, yeah. yeah she kind of fucked herself up aligning with Erica Jane this last. That's true. I didn't. Yeah. What's going on with Erica Jane? She's fucked. She knew what was happening with her husband. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. Yeah. She was just here for the lifestyle and kind of, I don't know how you could not when something's that big and there's that many millions going through the accounts. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I got brainwashed by my fiance. Oh yeah. With watching the Bravo sphere. Yeah. It's really good. It's so good. I saw like, this is bullshit. And then three weeks later, I'm like, I can't believe she wore that dress to the reunion. She looks terrible. What the <laughs> fuck? Salt Lake City is just like a Manson family cult, which is... It's too much for me. Uh, I've never <laughs> really gotten into Salt Lake. I watch New Jersey because I'm from New Jersey, so... How about Vanderpump? Vanderpump, well, they're coming back, right? They were canceled yeah. for a while. And now they're back. I just heard that Tom and Ariana split. That's all I know. I'm like a really like a Jeffrey Dahmer victim 
with a hole filled <laughs> with my head, like stump stumbling around the Bravo extended universe. Just with like acid in your brain, just not knowing yeah. what's going on. Yeah. And yeah. like Tom Sandoval <laughs> and Ariana, whatever her name is, split. For some reason, this is significant to me. And obviously all the Vanderpump girls had COVID babies just like me. Right. So it's very I relatable. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess I'll be back and I'll I'll get back into it. Yeah. It, it it's pretty legendary. I know Tom was always such a nice guy, so it was kind of crazy that he did this, but I guess that's the big dramatic plot twist that Yeah. Those were a good couple. Yeah. Ariana Maddox, that's her name. Yes. She yeah, she's cool. They they were like the ultimate like closeted LGBT couple. Hugely, he's, yes. He's clearly <laughs> gay and she's clearly a lesbian. I was so sad when I went to LA and I went to Sir and it was fucking terrible. It's such it a really clapped out, beat up yeah. restaurant. And I was like, yeah. you can kind of see through the Instagram filters they put on the show that it could look quite nice, yeah. but in, in person it's terrible. Yeah. I mean, that's how so many things are. It's like a real <laughs> Potemkin village. Yeah. And then we, I went to Tom Tom and I got served the worst mixed drink I've ever had in my life. It was just so bad. But, really? And they wow. forgot to charge me. So that was kind of something, but. Um, well, I have two questions for you. Number one, uh, what were you doing there? And B, number two, uh, how much do they charge for? Because it's supposed to be like a um, kind of like a artisanal cocktail bar, right? Yeah. I was there for. On holiday for my 40th, I went just before COVID. I went to New York oh. for 10 days and I went to LA for 10 days. Mm. It was good. We had dinner with Bryce and Ellis and he said, just literally down the road, there's all the Vanderpump bars. Yeah. And said, okay, let's go on a pilgrimage. We hope. Yeah. And then Tom Tom, I think it's around $20. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. For a old fashioned, but it was so badly mixed. And then we were just hanging at the bar and then she forgot to charge us and went, often talk to a friend and then I was like I never thought I'd save it but this drink is so bad I'm just gonna leave it and get an uber home I'm just <laughs> I'm just done like yeah painful yeah it's one of the most cursed places in the world So I was just thinking about this the other day. What do you say when people ask, what do you do? How do you describe yourself? What do I do? I mean, I'm a podcastus, a podcastrice, yeah, as they say in French. Uh, <laughs> I guess I would say I'm a podcaster. That seems to me like the most easy and expedient way of describing myself. I'm, a, I'm an anti-hype in it. <laughs> just, I do one thing. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. I do nothing. Yeah. I always struggle with when people say, what do you do? If you, I say I show movies and they say, oh, you have a cinema. And I'm like, well, Are you no, a pornographer? But, yeah. <laughs> and then I say I've got residencies and various things and it just takes too long. And then you start over explaining and it's almost like you end up <laughs> just, I, I almost feel like I go back to that time when I was broken starting out and having to really 
justify this as a viable career. Yeah. And it just takes me back to my broke days, but I don't know. But then if you say you run an entertainment company, you sound like you're fucking... You sound like a liar and a sociopath. Yeah, yeah. yeah just like you're really trying to flex. There's no there's no way of winning. <laughs> I'm a girl boss. Yeah, I'm a CEO. Yeah. So what did you grow up watching and reading and listening to? What kind of teenager were you? Uh, I was probably a very uh, brooding and surly teenager um, who thought I was much more brooding and surly than I was. I remember reading the Perfectly Imperfect newsletter with Peter Vack, where he talks about how he grew up with this impression of himself as being kind of like a recluse and a contrarian. And then he realized that actually he had a lot of friends and having friends is great and fun and nice. Um, I started watching a lot of very grown up movies at an inappropriately young age, um, thanks to my mom who was always kind of like a hipster and a bohemian. Uh, And, you know, what she lacked in, say, like normal, maternal kind of like warmth and enthusiasm, she more than made up for by throwing us into the deep end of like art and cinema. She was really into Fassbender and Lars von Trier because she's kind of the original edgelord troll poster. <laughs> I'm merely following in her footsteps and like monetizing her harsh inner voice. Um, I have, she showed me a clockwork orange when I was like 10 years old. And I Jesus. have this very vivid, uh, awkward memory of watching that like infamous rape scene where the gang cuts the woman's jumpsuit yeah. at the nipples sandwiched between my mom and my dad. And I could feel like their bodies tensing up. Um, And she took me to New York a lot because we lived in suburban New Jersey. And she took me to like a Yoko Ono retrospective where they screened um, Erection. Oh, wow. I haven't seen her. You know that Yoko Ono piece? No, I haven't seen any of her. It's like a film. Right. I haven't seen any of her film work. And she, she, it's like a, a, a film of like a short film, I think, of a building going up. But I think it's set to, it's like very like Serge Gainsbourg, if I recall correctly. And there's like some sex noises happening. Um, and then she showed me Harmony Corrin's Gummo and Vincent Gallo's Buffalo 66 when they came out. This was like 97, 98. So I must yeah. have been like 12 or 13. Um, and back then you had to rent everything at Blockbuster. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I remember my parents being like particularly excited about Pulp Fiction which I want to say is 94, 95. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm very fuzzy right. on the dates. But the, you know, that iconic poster of Uma Thurman in the black wig laying on the bed was like everywhere in central Jersey at the time. Uh, and I remember also watching kids for myself when I was like 10 years old in 95 because the mother of a friend rented it for us. Um, and every kid in New Jersey was obsessed with kids because they made being a bad kid in New York look so fun and glamorous. And in in retrospect, I think they had to like insert that moralizing AIDS arc into it (laughs) to make it look like less fun and glamorous. Like a cautionary tale. Yeah. Yeah. You'll die if you do this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so like, I really identified with and wanted to be like the Chloe Sevigny character back in the day. Um, And I think the movies that made the biggest impression on me at the time were like 
kids, Gummo, L.I.E., because they pretty faithfully reflected what it was like growing up in the tri-state area in the late 90s. And also we watched a lot of TV shows. Um, MTV was huge. A lot of Beavis and Butthead, The Simpsons, that sort of thing. I remember um, my dad letting me stay up past my bedtime while he and his friends were like blasting cigarettes and drinking vodka, watching Beavis and Butthead. Um, That's how Red Scare was born. I mean, I'm kidding, but we're kind of like the modern day female Beavis and Butthead. Yeah. Um, And I think like it's, you know, like when you read um, interviews or listen to interviews with directors and they almost unanimously talk about how um, many movies they watched as kids like Scorsese, Woody Allen, they've all said this. And I and I've always associated that with like being an auteur, but I think that's everybody yeah, whatever you see as a those first movies that really resonate with you go way deep into your heart. It, when I first saw The Lost Boys, I was like, "This is the coolest movie ever." Yeah, yeah, it's a, it was like such a formative movie from my youth too. Um, and we, when we came to the United States, we were like very insular as a family and very poor. And I remember sitting like in our barren apartment in the dark on my mother's lap watching horror movies at like midnight. Do you think these had any bad effects on you now looking back as a mom yourself or just put um, images in your head? Um, that's a good question. Uh, I really like, I don't know. I mean, I they probably like sharpened my personality as like a troll and an edgelord <laughs> for sure because they made me um, cynical at an early age. But I... I remember showing the baby Mulholland Drive when he was six months old. I mean, I wasn't showing it to him. He was just kind of like laying there on the lounger while Eli and I watched the movie. And I think like my approach to to parenting is a lot like my mom's. I just bring him with me everywhere and show him everything and hope it doesn't damage him too much in the future. L.A.E. is crazy. What a bold performance by Brian Cox. It's incredible, yeah. The balls on that guy to take on that type of role. Yeah. And so I, great. I don't it's crazy. I think like I I did um Jack Mason's podcast recently and we talked about LIE specifically. And I think a film like that could never get made today, not for any like political or ideological reasons necessarily, but because people really just simply lack the vision and imagination to conceive of something like that. Yeah, it kind of feels, it's almost like uh, the perfect mix of like Gregoraki and Larry Clark or something mm-hmm. with the way the twinks are portrayed, but with that real grit as well. Yeah, it's like very ambiguous and semi-consensual and not very safe at all. And Brian's monologue just about giving the best, when he just casually just puts on the porn and it's like, <laughs> I get better blowjobs than her. <laughs> yeah absolutely crazy like what does he say like i'm the the best cocksucker in the midwest on like on this side of the la yeah i don't remember the exact quote but what kind of things were you reading um that's a good question i one of the first um big like things i did when the podcast started gaining steam was I went on um, the Brett Easton Ellis podcast and we drove to 
his apartment and I was thinking the whole time that I was like getting catfished because it was an absolute dream. He's one of my literary heroes. Um, and he asked me on that podcast, like what my early like literary experiences and references were. And I like kind of panicked and was like Thomas Bernhard. Um, but that came after the first uh, fiction writer that I was really attached to was Alberto Moravia. I don't know them. What's the big book? He's um the big books are um the the conformist and the woman of Rome. Oh, yeah. The conformist got made into like a very famous historically significant movie by uh Bernardo Bertolucci. Yeah. yeah. Um and I recommend watching the movie and reading the book like close together because they're very like radically different. And I think it's one of those things where the movie is actually possibly better than the book. Uh but his I really like his small bourgeois psychodrama novels. Um, my favorite ones are like Conjugal Love, which also got made into a movie starring Brigitte Bardot. Uh, or no, Contempt. It was Contempt. Conjugal Love is, is similar. And then Boredom. And uh, in my mind, before there was like Michelle Welbeck, there was uh, Alberto Moravia, because as the fiction writer, he deals with a lot of uh, the same themes. And all, you know, his main characters are similarly kind of like uh, bourgeois aging men <laughs> yeah, who, who are like uh, sexually miserable neurotics. And was your, was your favorite Brace and Alice book from the catalog? From the catalog. That's a good question. Um, I'm a big fan of American Psycho. I'm wearing the American Psycho Christian Bale sweatshirt. They only do uh, skinny sizes. I'm so pissed off. I want an <laughs> oversized hoodie from that. Yeah, yeah. So sad. I, what You could probably fit into like a L or XL. I can, but I think I, think I hit a point in, well, it was going on before COVID, but during COVID, I, I literally went on Amazon and bought free XL fruit volume t-shirt packs and wore <laughs> joggers for the first time ever yeah and i'm like i kind of feel a little bit like cameron in the big uh-huh. oversized track suits yeah and they're so fucking comfy but i i don't think i can go back to tight fitting clothes ever, yeah, again, ever, ever that's again that's how they get you yeah because it's gonna, so comfortable yeah i mean i'm obvious i love less than zero obviously uh Glamorama. I'm a big fan of Brad Easton Ellis in general. Yeah, Glamorama, I think, is my favorite book of all time. Really? Damn. Yeah. I, I think the opening, up until the run up to the party and he gets on the boat, I think that's the most pleasurable 300 pages I've ever read. <laughs> and even counting down the chapters, count down like a ticking clock. Mm-hmm. And Victor's so fun to be in his head and all the. All the eeriness, like all the rooms are so cold and there's those yeah. like, like confetti everywhere. Such a haunting, weird mood. What I'm like slightly bitter about in terms of like movies is that no one's really successfully adapted a Brett Easton Ellis or Michelle Welbeck novel to cinema with the ex- like the big glaring exception of American Psycho. Do you not like Rules of Attraction? I have never seen that. Is it good? Oh, dude, it's the best. Okay. Trust me, it captures, it's the only one that captures the stream of conscious monologues and that kind of, 
I don't know that kind of weird up at 3am kind of coming down kind of vision that he kind of runs through his books Mm -hmm. that really kept the tone of the voice is put is the only one who's got it right Uh okay Uh, i'm gonna watch that tonight yeah i highly recommend that but i i always have this really stupid idea that if i ever got like jeff bezos rich Mm-hmm. You know, when when I hear things like uh, Lesson Zero looks really good. Mm-hmm. The only issue is it, it, it there's no bits of a book in the film. Mm-hmm. They've kind of redid the whole script and took out all the snuff movie and the yeah. child porn video <laughs> and stuff. I was wondering if I was really rich and just give a studio money to like Irishman it, where we uh-huh. feed back in the book. And they keep all the original characters and just CGI the movie back into place with all the weirdness yeah. and darkness in. That's my stupid yeah, Hollywood vision for cast Robert De Niro and do anti-aging technology. Yeah, just totally, anti-age like, everyone, way. and let's bring in the snuff movie and all that and put it back to the way it should be. Yeah, or like when I heard that William Friedkin was going to make the the Serpent, that the TV show that Dasher was in. Yeah. He was going to make that in the 80s, but he said he wanted an unknown as a serial killer because it'd be way more sinister. Uh-huh. And they were like, no, we need a face. We need a an A-lister. And he's like, no, but that won't be as creepy if I just cast a random sinister man just killing everyone. And I was yeah. like, yeah, fuck that. that. That's one for my imaginary computer filmmaking machine. Yeah, I mean, I think like one of the best things about movies in general is to like fantasize about all the missed opportunities. Yeah, it makes me so sad, but it's kind of fascinating to read as well. But it's also exciting and fun, yeah. Have you read The Shards yet? No. Have you? No, I was listening to the pod and the first chapter was so thrilling that I hit pause and waited for the book to come out. Okay. And then I got a copy of a book, but I have this weird thing where I I like to have the right edition of the book Mm -hmm. and the UK cover sucked. But my friend who works me was over at Sundance. So I texted her and said, go get me the Simon Schuster American copy instead. <laughs> so she's got me the right edition, but I haven't got it back yet. So I'm going to wait for it. that. I got it. But I got it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It just, it's really dumb because my, my girlfriend's like, you know, it's the exact same words mm-hmm. on the page. And I'm like, it's just going to hit different. <laughs> with but it's, this yeah, it's not about the words. It's about the vibes. It's about the experience. Yeah. Like I bought the new, there's a new deluxe edition of a secret history that came out with like, mm-hmm. um, and the inner, inner sleeves are like marbled and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it looks like a real, like an, like a antique book or is it antiquarian? Mm-hmm. Is that the word? Yeah. Yeah. It, it looks, it, it looks like an ancient book. And I was like, this just smells good. The print is a nice font type and it just feels so much more pleasurable. Yeah, I mean, next time you're in New York, you have to go to Argosy. Oh, where's that? It's like in Midtown. It's it's between like Bloomingdale's and Bergdorf's. So I like to go there when I'm like quote returning some videotapes. <laughs> and they have they have like outdoor cases of like beautiful three dollar hardbacks. I oh kind of went ham and bought a bunch of them and was lugging them home on the train. Um, I bought a book called uh, Political Gore. That's a great name. It, it was incredible. It just like stood out at me on the shelf. And it's about um, 
it's about like, uh, I guess it's like firsthand literature and letters from the Civil War. And I'm going to run through it real quick and then give it to Dasha because she's like planning this uh, Civil War epic film. Really? And I think it could be useful wow. to her. I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about that. Okay. I Let guess she, she's she's talked about it on the podcast very vaguely, so I can't really like spill too many of the beans. Sure. But um, And then I bought another one called... Um, the sexually responsive woman which is like I, it's like one of these like 60s or 70s like feminist texts about like female sexual awakening with like a forward by betty for dan and then the last one i bought was like a very like elementary primer on russian literature but you can get a lot of good stuff there that sounds great mm-hmm. I, I, I went to mast books but i couldn't afford shit everything was so at mast yeah yeah Unsoundable. It was it was amazingly created stuff. I have um a really beautiful, like well preserved, I think it's a first edition of um Pauline Kale's I Lost It at the Movies that I got at Mast and paid way too much for. Oh, I'm always trying to her books are so hard to get in the UK. They are, yeah. They're, they're hard they're, to get like anywhere. They're all just like American printed editions. My my <laughs> my friend sent me a cop- copy of Deeper into Movies first edition, which was amazing. But I just try and pick him up here and there when I see them. I think she's going to be the basis for Quentin Tarantino's final movie. Really? I yeah. saw that he was doing a final movie. Yeah, it came out today, but it's just called uh, The Film Critic, about a female okay. film critic in the 60s. And I'm like, oh, wow. Maybe he's going to kind of once more time in Hollywood it, where it's a version of her. Uh-huh. So what were you doing before the pod? What was your career like before then? I mean, I had no career. I was, <laughs> I was a, a truly a bohemian lifestyle. I was a grad student in art history. Well, I dropped out of a PhD program. Uh, and that's really kind of the official reason that I moved to New York. But I think the real reason was I wanted to move to New York and kind of see if I could make my own way. Uh, the last thing I was doing before the podcast got off the ground was hostessing at an Italian restaurant in Nolita. Did you have a plan of what you ideally wanted to do or what you aspired to do? Or No, never. I still to this day don't have a plan for anything. I kind of wing everything. I don't really have any great aspirations or ambitions. I just do what comes naturally. And I do things, I think, mainly out of frustration because, like, I would prefer if somebody else did them, but no one else is doing them. Like, I think with the podcast, I was so frustrated that no one was saying the truth about feminism and Me Too. And the stars aligned and I happened to meet Dasha and it all kind of all's well that ends well. But uh, I would have preferred, I think, if someone else had come around and done it for me. So one of the things Eugene pointed out about podcasting, which really goes unrecognized, and I only realize when when you start hosting conversations every month, is it's fucking hard work to keep a 
to deliver an hour podcast of you guys just talking every month and, yeah. and being so entertaining and articulate and turning on the juice. And that got me wondering, do you guys prepare much? Or do you discuss an episode before you start out? Uh, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to let you have the impression that it's incredibly hard work. I, no, I mean, it is in some ways. Uh, you have to have a lot of like bandwidth and concentration in the moment. I mean, realistically, it's not that much hard work, you know, like um, uh, a Paul Scalis, the Lindy man has this concept called the four hour life, the four HL. And uh, I think Dasha made like a joke about how she got it wrong because she thought 4HL was when you work like four hours <laughs> a week. But it's actually, but it's actually um, uh, when you work eight hours a day and have four hours uh, for yourself to yeah. do kind of like uh, leisure and uh, personal improvement and whatever. But we really truly live the 4HL. Um, we definitely, I mean, discuss the docket beforehand and come up with topics and then we sort of individually read the articles and convene to talk about them and then she does the recording and i do the editing how often do you record them are you like once a week originally it was two times a week now it's down to one do you find it hard or is it is it just flow i was running because I, I always have times when i go to record uh my intros or my movie ad and i get on the mic and hear myself in the headphones and just have a weird imposter syndrome or can't get into the headspace and just close the laptop and walk away. You have that feeling? All the time. I don't know what it is. The, the conversations I enjoy, but then listening back, you hear yourself in your headphones, you say, I sound like a fucking idiot. Or That's for sure the hardest part for me because I do the editing. So I usually listen through an episode once it's been recorded mm -hmm. and i personally just really hate the sound of my own voice and like hate my own takes and it's it's literally like pulling teeth to sit through it but you know that's how the sausage is made and like you got to do what you got to do and i'm a little bit of a control freak when it comes to like the final product so i like to crop out all of the dead air and the mouth sounds and that sort of thing yeah, that's my worst bit. Where yeah, people people have advised me to hire an assistant or an editor who can do that part of the job for me. But realistically, no one else can do the job because I'm the only one that knows uh, what I want to you know take out. When we had when we interviewed Michelle Welbeck, that was kind of an ordeal because we actually hired a um, French speaking sound engineer to sync the tracks yeah. so that the, the voice, so that Welbeck's voice would bleed into the translator's voice. So you don't have to listen to the entire kind of unedited thing. Sure. And that was, you know, a nightmare to manage, you know, it was no one's fault, but I had to go back and recut his cut. Oh Jesus. Yeah. How long did it take? I mean, it took several hours and I'm assuming it took him several hours, but realistically it's ridiculous for me to complain because it's, it's like such an easy and fulfilling and rewarding job. 
Yeah, these are first world problems. Like, yeah, they really I need to record are, yeah. my movie advert. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was. I had the worst pod freak out last week. I was interviewing Mia Goff for the podcast, and her publicist mm-hmm. gave me the time. And I said, "Cool, got it." One p.m. London time, sorted. And then at twelve, my phone just starts blowing up, and they're like, "Where the fuck are you?" And I'm like, I'm at home. What's the deal? And they're like, she's on waiting for you now. And, and they're like, what? And like, we're on Berlin time. And I was like, oh, shit. Oh, yeah. So I had to that like, happens. yeah. So I had to go like put clothes on, print my stuff. I only got to wait like five minutes and she was very graceful. But just the stress when you see a publicist like, texting you like. Yeah, like freaking out. I mean, you get a lot of like really impressive guests, uh, which I'm sure is like a testament to your uh, love of the game, but you know, you, you talked about like imposter syndrome. I don't have imposter syndrome and I've never had it because everyone's kind of an imposter, you know? Yeah. It gets easier when you hit, well, the more people, the more amazing people you speak to and you kind of realize everyone is just a insecure weirdo. (laughs) Yeah. Everyone's like retarded and neurotic. (laughs) And actually, I mean that in like a, a flattering way because they're also like incredible and extraordinary. Yeah. I was thinking when I was, we did a screening of meet me in the bathroom at the weekend and looking back, it was, I was so embarrassed. I was so obsessed with Interpol. And that was the last time I was really, it was the last time in my twenties when it was okay to, you know, in life when you're trying on different personalities and identities and uniforms and, I think that was my last time in the changing room when I was trying to wear like skinny fit suits. And yeah, be a hipster. Yeah, tie, oh my God, just wearing... Like the YSL really, look. Yeah, just like wearing really painful brogues and <laughs> drain pipe trousers and stuff. And like, I can barely move. My feet are bleeding, but I think I'm serving some real <laughs> New York Interpol looks right now. It's giving indie. It's giving big indie sleeves. And then... When you see him on the movie and they're talking about being so lost and depressed and I was like, man, you guys were the fucking coolest people, I, in, you know, in pop culture at the time. And then you're like, wait, he, they were just fucked up and sad as well, <laughs> which, which is kind of comforting as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I was just thinking about um, the killers. Yes. And how they're... I had this really horrible nightmare after um, the Eye on Pack did a an Oscar screening, and I was like in a room full of people who I know, and it's kind of like scary because you're like, oh my god, I like know so many people, and we're all in the same boat together. And I had this nightmare afterward that I was in the same room, and I basically said that the Killers were like the best band that's ever existed in the world and that they're like better than the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and the Doors and everybody like mercilessly mocked me, which is clearly just like uh, poorly veiled symbolism for like my life being like a poster (laughs) and a podcaster and getting like mercilessly mocked for my shitty hot takes. Uh, But I do remember like having like such a vivid connection to the killers. And because also Brandon Flowers was like a huge Morrissey fan and in my mind, there's like this delusional web of connections. Wait, sorry. I think there's a, a UPS guy outside. Would you mind if I ran No, of course. Go for it. Okay, I'll BRB. 
way. Sorry, I'm back. I should have warned you ahead of time. No, that's totally fine. Those moments make really good interludes in the pod. Oh, oh awesome. So okay. it's, a, it's a nice edit moment. I should tell you, Morrissey used to come to my record store every month and buy stuff. Tell me more. He was charming because we were both, he was like, hello, Stephen. Uh-huh. And then he'd be like, have you got the earrings of Madam D on DVD? Uh-huh. And he'd always want these really old movies. And I'm like, yeah, we've got it. And he's like, you've got it? Thank God people still care about these old movies. And I'm like, yeah, of course. He just got reissued as a new transfer. And he's like, delightful. Thank you. But he'd always buy new doll CDs. And I'm like, I'd always troll him and be like, you should check these guys out. They're pretty good. And he's like, <laughs> I, I know, because they're like his heroes. But I don't know why. Maybe it was just like starter packs for friends or something, because he'd be buying really like obvious. Uh-huh. Maybe he was handing them out. That That's how I am with like Bronze Age mindset. I just handed it out like stocking stuff for all my friends. So I bought like 12 copies or something. Um, yeah, I, I mean, Morrissey is the, I really credit my mom and Morrissey both Gemini's for my like film education. Cause Morrissey's the other guy that really um, taught me everything I know. And I, I think the killers have a kind of Morrissean aesthetic and that the, it's very cinematic. Like you can yeah, see they're definitely like, Mr. Ch- children of the Smiths for sure. Yeah. yeah. And you can see like Mr. Brightside could literally be adapted into a movie, AKA an extended play, like music video. Um, but Morrissey was how I found out about like Serge Gainsbourg and Pasolini. Yeah, I can see that. And all the Smith covers all had great film references or mm-hmm. like UK TV culture references on their yeah. artwork and stuff. When I was in Manchester last year, I was trying to get into the Salford Lads Club to have a look around. Mm-hmm. And it was always closed, but I knew, I knew they did tours and stuff. And mm-hmm. I messaged them and just said, I'd love to come in. I'm here for the weekend. And I think he must have thought I was a bigger deal than I was. Because mm-hmm. he was like, yeah, I'm there Tuesday. Just come by, ask for Jim. And he opened the place up, especially just for me and my girlfriend, and took me on like a guided tour of the entire place. And he showed me like the gym where they do all the training and they still bring in teenage. It, it, well, it started off for um, kids from broken homes or nothing to do in, in their spare time. So to get them off the streets, they do football tournaments or gym mm-hmm. training and stuff. And most of the kids who went there now volunteer there. And there's this great ecosystem going on. And he's like, yeah, New water like send in a bunch of merch every year and we raffle that off and then we take the kids on holiday and stuff like this mm-hmm. it was so great and then he, we went to the merch store and he was like do you want like a Salford Lads Club soap and I was like Ob- obviously <laughs> I tell Dasha every time I see her your love line episodes are the most salacious and fun mm-hmm. shows you do how was the the last one was insane with a girl who was fucking her brother? Yeah, Do you that was crazy. Yeah, whenever we get questions like that, I always assume people are like trolling or catfishing us, and then I try to answer as if it's sincere or whatever. But you never quite know, and I think that's like part of the fun. 
Yeah, no, that one sounded legit. That was too specific. You can kind of tell, well, you guys always flag it when you feel someone's over-egging it or trying to be too provocative or salacious. But that just seemed really weird and like, innocence the wrong word, but it was was had a naivety about it. Like, is this weird? You know, should I be doing this kind of thing? Yeah, and I mean, the whole concept of the Loveline episodes obviously came from the show Loveline that was hosted by Dr. Drew and Adam Carolla and was also kind of a part of the Anna extended universe when I was growing (laughs) up because I remember um, falling asleep to it, like laying in the dark, listening to Loveline on my headphones. And you were the only person I still here talking about the brilliance of eastbound and down yeah eastbound and down i think my hot take about that show is that it's a truly intellectual show yeah because you like stevie right is stevie your guy in that show i love stevie because he's such a um fucking loser (laughs) (laughs) he's like an irredeemable unattractive pathetic loser and to make like a redeemable character out of that is really incredible there's there's nothing to like about most of the main characters no that's really refreshing in shows i remember when i was listening to tarantino's pod and someone said i hate this movie and i didn't like anyone mm-hmm. and tarantino was itchy shouting and said fuck that who cares about likability of a interesting which i think should yeah. be the case for all characters like the, in. the litmus test yeah and i love yeah. you know the that scene where they're trying to like make a banner for the Mexican baseball team. And he's like, what the fuck? It's supposed to be a tip, not a JPEG. I mean, it's like a brilliant, brilliant show. The other show that I really love that you may be familiar with as a British person is keeping up appearances. Yes. My, my aunt looks exactly like high simp. So that was always really funny for us growing up. That's like a really incredible unsung show. Yeah. She was just, I met someone who was in that the other day. It was I went to a screening of If, mm-hmm. and one of the guys was saying that he basically, after this movie, kind of flopped and went into TV and just had a bit part in keeping up appearances for the rest of his mm-hmm. career. But yeah, yeah, and I think Patricia Rutledge is an interesting character because she's still alive. She's in her nineties. Um, she never married or have had kids. Um, I actually the first time I went to London. My sister and I missed our flight back to the United States because we were um, watching Patricia Rutledge in some theater production. I don't even remember what. And we like totally like blew it and didn't make it in time to the airport, but it was like worth it. Uh, I think with Brits do class comedy like nobody else. That's really like what I love in movies and shows is kind of like bourgeois psychodrama. Bourgeois psychodrama is King of That's like my beat. <laughs> yeah. What do you watch now? Are you watching anything good? Um, I don't watch any new movies, really, unless, like, I have to, quote, review them for the pod. I'm really just, like, not interested, which is, like, a bad thing to say because I sound like such a pretentious boob and, like, contrarian. But I basically, I mean, watch a lot of old films. My favorite directors are, like, Fassbender, um, Carlos Suara, who just died, uh, he did Cria Cuervos and Peppermint Frappe mm-hmm. and Honeycomb, which is like, they're three of my favorite films easily. Um, I watch a lot of Michael Haneke, another guy who I love because he reminds me of that. He's he's very like Austrian school, 
like Thomas Bernhard, Alfred mm-hmm. Jelinek, whose book he adapted, obviously, into a piano teacher. Um, the I just started watching A Death in Venice. I've not seen that. It's you know, this best really film. famous yeah. film. Yeah. So far, it's really good. It, it stars Dirk Bogard, who's like my absolute favorite actor of all time. He has the same birthday as the baby, March 28th. And he's like the principal actor in my absolute favorite trilogy of films of all time, um, which were made by Harold Pinter and Joseph Lossie. I mean, Harold Pinter is like a famous British playwright, you yeah. know, and Joseph Lossie was an American director who actually had to flee the United States during like the McCarthy era because he was branded as a communist. And he went to Britain and got into this very um, productive and fortuitous partnership with Harold Pinter, kind of like Red Scare. And they made three incredible films. Um, uh the Servant, which stars Dirk Bogart as this kind of like gay for pay grifter who impersonates a, a servant and worms his way into a rich man's life with uh, disastrous consequences. Um, the Accident, which stars uh, Dirk Bogart as like a washed up and resentful academic who attempts to initiate an affair with his beautiful student. And I think the actress, her name was Jacqueline Sassard, I think. She's like one of the most beautiful women I've ever seen on screen. And she disappeared really after that, never went on to do much with her career. And then like my favorite film of all time possibly is The Go-Between, which is um, Julie Christie and Alan Bates. She plays an aristocratic woman who's in an ill-fated affair with like a tenant farmer on her family's property. I haven't seen this. Uh, I love Julie Christie. She's one of the best looking people ever. For... She is. She's incredible. Um, uh, and and if, she's like Kate Blanchett. She's like very handsome in an almost androgynous way. But those, those are like the nearest, dearest movies to me. And like nobody's seen them. It's crazy. I, it's very hard to get people to like sign up to watch movies or TV shows. Because people are are busy and don't have time. Criterion's re-releasing The Servant. Oh, awesome. You should watch it. Yeah, I saw that. They did like a 4K re-release last year, mm-hmm. which was great. It was so unbelievably dark. Yeah. And I love all the, the mind games between the two and the, the way it slowly switches dynamic, mm-hmm. which is great to watch. And it's yeah, got that it's- kind of, almost got that David Mamet style kind of grift and con going for it as well where you're never quite sure who's hustling who yeah yeah exactly and i think bogart was actually in in, um fassbender's first and only english language film which i never watched like fully i started watching it and gave up but he's had an interesting career uh and then I, the other, I, I watched a ton of movies during the pandemic because there was like literally nothing to do but watch movies and have sex, which is how all the COVID babies were born, you know? <laughs> um, but uh, the other movies that I watched kind of fairly recently that stuck out to me were um, Peter Greenaway, The Draftsman's Contract, and uh, the, um, the Elaine Corneau, All oh. the Mornings in the World. Yeah, I like his uh, Cook the Thief, His Wife and His Lover movie. That one I've never, I haven't seen. Oh, that's a good one. But yeah, that's kind of, that's really my vibe. And I hope I can like 
manipulate and influence people into watching those films because they're absolutely worth it and life-changing. Do you have any ambitions to write a book of essays? I've been telling Eli every time I speak to him that this should be Everyone keeps thing. saying this. Yes. I, I just got lunch with Jordan Castro and he was saying the same thing. Um, what I would really like to do, I think, is um, nestle the essays into a kind of seething, coping monologue. Right. To be performed? For, for plausible di- um, deniability, you know? Oh, okay. I'm not sure. I think I have, like, I have to kind of work it out. But I guess it's, I think it's something that I have to do because so many people have requested it and uh, I would hate to disappoint. Yeah, we all can't be wrong. Yeah, that's, well, that's the only other reason to do things. Um, Desperation, revenge, and uh, to avoid disappointing everyone (laughs) around you. Yeah. So you're thinking like a live reading, like a monologue or a... No, I mean, I was just thinking of, of just copying my heroes and doing something like um, what Welbeck does or what Brett Easton Ellis does or what BAP does. Basically, a kind of like angry, delusional, delirious monologue from an incredibly like unreliable narrator, but obviously from like a woman's point of view. One of the things that I um, always loved about Welbeck that he said in an interview, I'm probably like paraphrasing it really badly. Um, he was asked why he doesn't write kind of like fully fleshed out, um, complete and sympathetic female characters. Mm-hmm. And I, I, he said, well, like I'm a man, it would be like pretentious and unconvincing if I tried to speak from the point of view of a woman. Uh, and the yeah. other thing that he that he didn't, say but that i would add is also that um it's not so much that his female characters are flat it's that all of his characters are flat what would be your starter pack for people wanting to get into Welbeck? platform i'm a big fan of platform that's my favorite one same i always like the cliche one american psycho platform like the obvious one yeah well didn't iron pack say that most of the time they're the best and biggest for a reason. Yeah, I, that's probably true. And you can kind of be contrary. Well, sometimes the other ones hit different, but often yeah. th- the best and biggest are the biggest for a reason. I also, I mean, I really loved Whatever, which is like not his most popular book, but it's the book um, that has the most um, impactful uh, passage for me about um, the the analyzed woman. I haven't read that one. Which I was tweeting about recently. Right. It's good. It's one of the earlier ones. And what about possibility of an island? Brett said that's his favorite. And mm. embarrassingly, I put it back down because the UK cover is hideous. The possibility yeah. of, of an island is a sci-fi one where yeah. there's the guy and then there's future clones of the guy. Um, that one's probably like my least favorite, but it's Welbeck. So it's one of my favorite books overall. And I I have a lot of um I'm not I'm not such a fan of like the structure and the plot but I I do like all of his little observations and takes. Mm-hmm. I mean I think Welbeck is like the classic example of a writer that I would seek to emulate because basically he uses books the plot of his books the characters of his books as a vehicle for his own takes. Yeah. I think we've covered everything. 
I don't, yeah, I don't have any like closing remarks. I, I have one, I have one, which is as much um, shit as I talk and as like contrarian as I am about uh, film and people really don't like my movie takes. Uh, I'm really optimistic about the future of film overall. Why? What was giving you this hope? Anything in particular? Um, well, because I think there's like a, a like a crisis of faith across the board yeah. in all areas of culture and politics, and obviously, like entertainment and Hollywood are totally captured, and everything's become like totally political. And films and shows these days are often made literally just to be memed or to be shoehorned into like the hot take economy. But that I think gives you a lot of latitude and freedom. And there's like a lot of independent filmmakers like Dasha, like Peter and Betsy, um, like Eugene, who are doing their own thing. And I think will like come out on top and will carry the industry on their shoulders eventually. Yeah, I think because there's no budgets or studio deals to be had. Yeah. I think people are just, everyone is just forging their own path with this kind of disparate indie landscape. So. And you can really like do whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> yeah. Cause there's no studio notes or no one's gonna give you no. any edit. So just why not make the film you want to make? Cause the stakes are low in a way that. Yeah, you can do whatever you want. The stakes being low, the expectations being low is a great thing because you can always exceed them. Boom. That was me and Anna. Subscribe to Red Scare if you want. And that's it. Thank you to Joshua Eustace, aka Telephone Tel Aviv. And thanks for you guys for listening. We'll speak soon. <laughs>